Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno. Direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt, and from the band Motor Lord, Ian O'Rourke. Good evening, everybody. As always, new content drops on Thursdays. Hey, I'm on vacation this week, but have no fear. Metal Walt, Ian O'Rourke, and Bill the Rager are here tonight, and they're going to bring you another installment of our kick ass, long running series, The History of Metal. Tonight, the year 1995. Well, 1995, our usual suspects are still releasing stuff like Ozzy and Sabbath, ACDC, Motorhead, Anthrax with John Bush, Iron Maiden with Blaze Bailey, Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. So, you know, that that stuff's still going on. But by now, the gradual decline of grunge was taking place. A lot of the 80s hair metal bands were uh, honestly on life support. And a new trend of industrial, dark, and heavy bands were coming around like Fear Factory, Dark Tranquility, plus emerging bands that were really hard to categorize like Monster Magnet and Primus. Perhaps you're, uh, you forgot about some of this. Maybe it'll re-energize you. Maybe it'll nauseate you. But at the very least, these guys are going to educate you and entertain you. So that's coming up in just a second. But first, want to remind you, if you're new to the show or haven't done it yet, get up to MetalMayhemROC.com. Join our community by signing up for the email list. This is our way to alert you on new podcast shows, interviews on our YouTube channel, um, alerts for our live radio show that I host on Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio. So there's tons of stuff going on up there. Uh, You could listen to past shows. Last week, we had David Ellefson from Megadeth fame. He was at the NAMM conference. He was telling us all about what's going on there. Uh, Two weeks ago, Damian Collati, the filmmaker that brought us the Riot documentary, Jim Florentine before that. Uh, Beginning of the month, we had Saxon with a double dip with both Biff and Nigel. Talking about the album, talking about the tour. So again, that's MetalMayhemROC.com. Sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's about it. I'm going to get back to my cocktails and my vacation. But now let me bring you Metal Walt, Ian O'Rourke, and Bill the Rager for another installment of The History of Metal. For my co-host, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. On tonight's episode, I'm joined by Ian O'Rourke and Bill the Rager our heavy metal experts and co-hosts of this episode of The History of Metal, our signature series talking about everything you'd want to know or maybe not want to know about any particular year in metal. So we're in the mid-90s now, right smack down the middle, fold that piece of paper in half, and we're in 1995. So 1995 is filled with lots of good stuff, lots of stuff we might have forgotten about and maybe some not-so-good stuff. So... Hey, I was a 25-year-old kid in 1995. I was out of college. I was in my first job. I broke up with my college girlfriend. I was hitting the bars with my buddies and seeing metal shows all over the place. Life was good. What were you guys doing in 1995? Bill, what were you doing? I was married, but uh, living the life in Tampa and going to metal shows and jamming in a band. Yeah, having fun. Ian, what about you? What were you doing in 1995? Yeah, same thing. I mean... I had I had just gotten married in a band, you know, doing music and uh trying to have as much uh much of a of a real life as I possibly could, you know. And you know, the music was, you know, like you said, it was it was a little bit all over the place. There was a lot of great stuff, and then there was some stuff that was a little bit sketchy. You're kind of like, ace, you know, but <laughs> it was it was that time, you know, it was that that first post, you know, that big chunk of first post grunge. Uh, music that was coming out you know and there was a lot of bands that were still kicking and screaming trying to hold on to what happened in the 70s and 80s and 
you know, some of them did well, some of them didn't. So, well, and that's you know. exactly it, right? The last couple of episodes, we were so focused on the end of the 80s bands and the continuation of grunge, but now grunge is over. And now yeah. we're in this post-grunge world. And if you if you really look at like the list of albums or releases that came out in that particular year, it's still like it's a big, big list. There's a couple hundred of new releases oh, yeah. that you can categorize as hard rock or metal, but it's very fragmented, right? Yeah. And let's let's start it off. Pick pick something. Let's get right into one of the albums. Osmosis by Ozzy Osbourne. This to me is the last real good Ozzy album. I'm not even going to say great because I think the last great Ozzy album was No More Tears. But I thought that this album was still really good. This was something that Ozzy was still a majorly relevant musician individual the band you know at the time where this was that you know he still was building into something you know huge um and this still had a lot of good stuff on it that was still getting not only radio play um but uh you know still struck a chord with a lot of the you know the rockers around you know i mean you had kicked off with perry mason but i mean they had songs like thunder underground which was like just this heavy brooding you know, down-tuned, you know, monster. Um, you know, and then you even had, you know, my little man, you know, Steve Vai doing his little guest appearance on there, you know, the one song that he worked on and wrote with Ozzy that he had performed on in the album. So that's my starter right there. You know, I can- I personally I I didn't love this album. I think it's got points. Yeah. Never sure. a fan, still not a fan of Perry Mason. Just the topic, the topic Perry yeah. Mason for an Ozzy. Come on, Ozzy. And even his tours, he was when he was touring in this particular year, I felt like it was a bit of a letdown from like coming off No More Tears because now Zach played on the album, but he was out of the band and you yeah. had Joe Holmes on Joe tour. Holmes. Joe Holmes was good, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. but he wasn't just, no Zach. It just yeah. didn't no. seem the yeah. same. It was not, it was yeah. to me the beginning of the crappy Ozzy years. Oh, yeah. But I kind of feel the same. I wasn't a huge fan of that record. I mean, I don't hate it, but it didn't knock my socks off. But, uh, you know, there's some tunes I like, My Little Man, and I do like See You on the Other Side. I know that was a radio hit, but it was yeah. actually written by Lemmy. The lyrics were. So to me, that's yeah. uh, pretty cool. Yeah. You know, yes. it's a good tune. Speaking of Lemmy, we had Motorhead, right? Motorhead yes, released Sacrifice. And this is what we were talking yeah. about last episode was – these were the years where you got a new you got a new Motorhead album every 16 months, 18 months. They were yeah. on every tour. They were on Ozfest. They were with Ozzy. They yeah. were with Black Sabbath. They were everywhere. Like we had said before, this was that period of perpetual heavier Motorhead, if, if there is such a thing. It's it's a good album. It's got some really great songs on there, man. It is a heavy album, definitely. It's very oh, heavy. Yeah, yeah. And they were also, you know, when they went out and toured, they they became the three piece after that. So I think that lent itself to, like you guys, what we were saying, the sound of the band. You only had one guitar player go forward, right? Phil Campbell, right. you know, so you got to make simpler songs. There's maybe not as much just heavy, heavy riffs. And that was it. But but the title track, uh, Sex and Death, Over Your Shoulder, good stuff. Right. They play these songs on tour. Again, they're Sex not. Sex and Death is a good song, man. <laughs> they, you know, they're not albums like you're going to go back and think about. But then when you go, right. oh, Sacrifice, what was that? What year? Oh, yeah, there's two or three right. songs. I remember them playing and opening yeah. up for Sabbath. They played those, and it was yeah. good stuff. So yeah. that one I think we all we all liked. Now, yeah. Yeah, um, solid record. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go back to the top of the alphabet. ACDC. Ball Breaker. Come on, guys. <laughs> I mean. It's listen, a fun album, though. The album title itself, Ball Breaker. Yeah. Phil sure. Rudd's back in the band. They came off the biggest point of their career, maybe, you know, yeah. with, uh, you know, coming off the Razor's Edge. And they put out a stellar album, man. Fucking yeah, yeah. cool album title. Great cover. Good songs. Awesome tour. I mean, yeah. what else the hell could you ask for, right? Hard as a Rock, Cover You in Oil, The Boogeyman. Good shit, man. And this was, you know, that period as well where they did, the, they released the big live album, you know, the big double live um, that they had uh, 91, I think it was 92. And then, you know, they, they still continued to put out really good stuff, but then it also hit a wall, you know, like afterwards it was like, okay, you know, when, when we get down the road, you know, it's like, eh, all right. Yeah. It's ACDC, but I, I don't really, you know, 
you don't hate it because it's ACDC, but you know, you didn't really care for it. But this was probably one of the last few that was really, it was still really solid. You know, this is almost like that uh, fly on the wall. It's cool to like yeah. because it's such a good rocker. But like, you know, there's, you know, one or two singles off it that, you know, versus every other album that they ever did before that. So good album. Then they had something to talk about with Phil Rudd. I mean, it's been, what yeah. was it, 10 years, maybe more since he was in the band. They yeah. got out on the tour. Yeah. And I also remember, too, seeing this this a couple times, once in Jersey and once at Jones Beach in New York. And I remember it was also a weird time for ACDC where they were still playing big places, but the ticket sales were starting to decline a little bit. And yeah. you're right, Ian. I remember by, I don't know, I think they toured in the year 2000. I can't remember what album that was, but um, I remember seeing it at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And, you know, there was a lot 100%. of empty seats in the upper tier. Yeah. Something you couldn't even imagine now in 2023. Bill, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. A little tester. Anthrax, Stomp 442. You know, honestly, I I like this record, but it's a hard listen for me nowadays all the way through. Why is that? It's the production's kind of basic. I don't know. And uh, but I, I really like the song Fueled. But to listen to the whole album, I don't think I could do it. You're right, Bill. I mean, the, the production side of it is a little is a little different, but it's, you know, the, something happened. Sound of white noise, fucking banger, you know, but it was it was still different. You know, even the production side of it, when they got right. to this album, it, it kind of kept that same momentum with the writing. But there was something still a little bit different with it. But so, it was like it was almost think- like a sophomore slump. And I wouldn't even say like a slump. But I think it maybe what it was, it was the uh, Sound of White Noise was such hot so news big. at the time. Oh, and yeah. they toured yeah. for two years. Everybody, sure. they were opening with everybody, playing with everybody. And it was almost like you almost needed a little break. And they came right back at this one. You, it was almost like you, you're not going to top top it. So it became a little bit of a sure. disappointment. Yet it wasn't really the music. Because, yeah. you know, the random acts of senseless violence, That's that opened the... The, the album Fueled, King Size, Writing Shotgun, that's good shit, right? But it, yeah. you're right, Bill. It's yeah. not an album you're going to reach to when you're going to grab a John Bush era Anthrax album. It's just this. Right. Yeah. Now, I did see him on that tour. They, I believe they toured with Cannibal Corpse and uh, and the Misfits. I don't know if you guys saw that mm-hmm. tour. That was a quite a, a different lineup, but that was uh, cool. And they only played like a couple tunes off that album, I think, if I remember really? correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that must have been a trip, though. Cannibal Corpse and Anthrax on the same bill. That's That must have been nuts. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Let's talk about A Small Deadly Space by the band Fight. I know that you and I have an affinity for Fight, and I'm sure that Bill has to love Fight because the heavy factor is is quadrupled when Rob Halford joins Fight. What do you uh, What do you remember most about that album? Well, for me, um, well, for me, I, I, this to me was, I don't have the same memories of this album as, uh, as the first fight album, as a, you as, know, War uh, Words. And War again, Wars, yeah. I think it was another parallel to Anthrax. I was so into War Words when this one came out. I was excited, right. but I just remember it didn't blow me away like the first album did. And it's, 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 it's quirky. It's a little bit, you know, it's got some different stuff to it. Yeah. yeah, different stuff to it. And even when we interviewed J.J. Brown a couple months ago, even he mentioned this. He's like, it's good. But he said it was a weird period for those guys writing. He said Rob did a lot of the writing on his sure. own. And he brought the material in and it was a little hard for these guys to connect to it. And, you know, it was like one of those things, too, is like next thing you know, you know, the album's out there on tour and then the band's over. Yeah. So it also yeah. it reminds me also of a period where fight was so short lived and this was just the end of it to me. So therefore, in my opinion, it doesn't hold up. What'd you think of it, Bill? Yeah. Same thing. Uh, you know, same as the anthrax, I, the production on it is sort of loose. And, yeah. and I think that right away kind of was disappointing and the songs aren't as memorable to me. I, I just don't, yeah. they don't stick in the craw like, like war of words. They tried and making that radio song blow out in the radio room I remember oh, yeah. seeing it on whatever was left of MTV at that time. And I was like, ah, it's like kind of trippy, you know, but overly melodic song. I'm like, it's just not doing it for me. You know, it's good effort, but just wasn't doing it for me. 
I gotta say yeah. though that the the title track "Small Deadly Space" I think is a killer. Oh song. yeah, that riff in the beginning. It's the just... riff is oh my god, you know. Yep. And then and then him at the end, "Small Deadly Space." It's like yeah. oh man. Oh, there's good. That's, there's good stuff in there. there, there that, yeah, there's that, good tunes. It's not a... stuck in my head forever since hearing that. All right, well that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I wanted to get anybody's opinion on uh, the last. Allison Chains album, Allison Chains with the late Lane Staley. I listed it as an honorable mention. Um, there's a couple oddball ones in there, but this is the one with the three-legged dog yep. on the cover. Yep. Had uh Sludge Factory and stuff on there. Um, Bill, you got any memories of this album? Yeah, I mean, it's um Again, it's definitely not my favorite album. Uh, it's right. a great album, but it's not uh, up to par with Dirt. I mean, Dirt to me was just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. That's on um, God, God-like level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you could yeah. tell Lane was uh, in his death throes. You know, yeah. he, you could you could tell his voice wasn't as strong, and yeah. he just he wasn't quite he wasn't all there. Yeah. It was Jerry Cantrell was definitely leading the charge leading on that. Way. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they toured on this album too. I think no. they were kind of done on no. that. But they're you're right. It was to. right. They, I think he was too messed up. But you're right. No. The song "Grind," "Sludge Factory," "Super Heavy." I mean, they yep. get another. I mean, but look, all more radio hits. "Heaven Beside You" again. Yeah, you still yeah. hear those on I mean, radio it, now. Like so, you, you know, you got four or five songs. You're still out there playing, and the and the current Alex and Chains are playing all this material. But yep. if you go back and you listen to it, you know, which is something that I, I did not long ago, I think aside from Lane being in his addiction issues, I know that there was problems with some of the other guys in the band, maybe not as severe as Lane, but you can yeah. hear it. Like the songwriting is like, okay, it's kind of got the Allison Chains edge, but it was kind of like, Maybe this was a leftover from something or like they yeah. had started it and yeah. they couldn't come up with an idea. And they're like, why don't we pull out that one and see if we can do something with it? It just it wasn't as strong. Even when Allison Chains came back out later on with uh, with William, William uh, whatever his name is. Yeah. That first album, you know, that was like, oh, it's like a, almost like a rebirth of Allison Chains. It was yeah. heavy as fuck. You know, it was right. really good music. But, you know, I didn't think it was a terrible album, but, you know. On the other hand, Mad Season, I think, is a phenomenal album. Mad Season is a good album. You know, and it's so weird, the dichotomy between hearing Lane on that last Alice in Chains, but you hear him on the, the Mad Season album. Now, what know, what and, makes it a great album, Bill? You say, on the, what makes it a great album? Is it the Mike McCready factor? What makes I'm, it great? Yes. I mean, his guitar tones on that album are just uh, uh, awesome. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's weird because it's more of a subtle. You could tell it's a, it's not a huge production. It's pretty pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's a just a great album. It's very deep as far as Lane goes. You could tell he was he was hurting, and that was his. Yeah. Uh, that Confessions. Was his, he was yeah. his expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Yeah, I I I can agree with that. But I think that what I liked about it was the mood. The album itself, you know, certain albums have a mood and you can tell it's it's dark, but it's like fluffy dark. I don't even know how to how to describe yeah. it. You know, it's right. not There's like a lot of melody. Yeah, and it's the, not the, something the, that's going to, you know, tear your eyeball out, but it's something that, you know, you're like, wow. You know, and then you sit back and you're you're like, holy shit. You know, I mean, this guy's really got some some demons that he's yep. you know, been, been working through. So. Well, and then the interesting things when it comes to commercial viability you had singles off the Alice in Chains being played on the radio, and then you had River De- River of Deceit, Deceit which was yep. just as big of a single. And that one, yeah. it was almost a little confusing because, like, I mean, unless you really confusing. knew about it, you're like, well, <laughs> that's Lane Staley, but it's not Alice right. in Chains. It's Mad Season. Who's Mad right. Season? You know, it's like it was that kind of that kind of yeah. confusion. But it, they were all being played on the radio at the same time. I remember being confused by that when it first came, when River of Deceit first came out. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, what I was the point I was going to say is you can hear how that song wouldn't be out of place on an album like Dirt, though. That right. could have been one of the more melodic 
radio friendly songs on dirt. It's got that yeah. same kind of vibe to it. You know, it's not, you know, and that's why I thought I'm thinking, I go, geez, like what they have a B side that, you know, nobody knew about, you know, and then you find out it's <laughs> another band. So. Well, I remember first hearing that song and thinking, ah, it's kind of weak. You know, I didn't, didn't really listen to it. I was just hearing the guitar. It's kind of jangly and whatever and soft, very, you know, but then one time I really listened to it and I'm like, damn, that's a good tune. That's a really good song. You know, with vocals, uh, uh, the lyrics, everything. It's a great tune. Well, I, got- I think um, one of the albums I know we all agree is going to be a top one from 95 is uh the the debut from down super group down oh you had to do it now oh god well yeah, listen yeah. you know what we're, we're just gonna we're gonna randomly pick albums and do cover it. all of them doesn't do need it. to be in no. an order that's but, fine yeah do it but guys i read again because i remember this one was another one you know um you know stone the crow just started getting played on the radio and i'm like what this is like this is phil anselmo but it's not pantera and it's Pepper Keenan and like what? Like Rex Brown and who the hell is this? Down, it's not Pantera. Like, who are these guys? You had to do your research yeah. again. It was another mad season thing, a side project, yeah. you know? Yeah. But that album I, is just, I mean, all the way through. Fucking bury me in smoke, you know, lifer, you know, all hail the leaf or whatever that song is. Just fucking great, great album. All the way through. Probably the top I've, album of 95, if you had a had oh, a pick huge. one. I think Bill will agree with me that this is one of those albums you start, listen to it all the way through, start it again. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's that kind of album, you know, and having that, that collection of guys, you got Phil from Pantera, you got Pepper from COC, you got Kirk from Crowbar, Todd Strange that was playing bass on the time was in Crowbar or, or well, between him and Kirk and then Jimmy Bauer from I Hate God on drums. If that that is like the epitome, the only other super group that I ever think is above them is Bad Company. And it's only because they got the legs, you know, but Down is getting right there with them now because of the amount of time they've been around. But what was it, guys? What was it? Because Down had a sound. It had a sound and it wasn't it was Phil Anselmo, but it wasn't Phil Anselmo in Pantera. But it it had more the the elements of. Yes, yep, and it was it was it. a little COC, but you're right, Bill. Talk about the Dirty South. What was the well, sense? It's just a kind of a, and a, for lack of a better word, a grungy, gr- grimy, just dirty, dirty sound. It's it's heavy, loud, and that's the thing. You have to play that album loud. You can't just okay. listen to it like you know, quiet. You got to crank that thing. Well, and that's, that's why the album's named Nola, right? Yeah, so perfect right? analogy. It's swampy. It's it's from the South. It's it's from yep. New Orleans, right? That's why they made it right. down there, right? They were the uh, the epitome, you know, the, all those bands, I Hate God and Crowbar, they all wanted to call them Sludge. Well, these guys were like, those bands are great, but Down as a collective is probably one of the top dogs in, in, in that category with those bands because they're so musical in what they do. But it's that amalgamation of, like, let's take some Leonard Skinner and some Black Sabbath, and we're going to throw a little bit of, you know, I don't know, some new wave of British heavy metal somewhere in the middle. And boom, there you go. We got down. I mean, it's just, it works magically. It's just, a, it's a great album. And and there's not a bad song, like you said, Walt, on this album. From beginning to end, you listen through to it, and you're like, God damn, I wish I could write something like that. You know, I mean, who, and, who, where did those ideas come from? But it was, you know, years of jamming to being buds. So, and just uh, well, just for to 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 check the record here, this is the second sludge reference on this episode, right? We talked sludge <laughs> factory, and now we're talking sludge the factory. sludgy sound. Now, here, I'm going to throw yeah. you guys one. Talk about sludge. Talk about falling down headfirst into the mud. Iron Maiden, the X Factor. Oh, Bill, what'd you think of that one? You know, honestly, when I listen to it again, it's not as bad as it was originally, but it, I just don't understand how they picked, um, uh, what's his name? The, Blaze, um, Blaze Bailey. Blaze Bailey. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It's a British You're- respect thing. Wolfsbane was right. same yeah. neck of the woods. It was an easy fit. They go to the pub. 
Yeah. You don't need to rehearse seven guys. You pick the first guy that you get drunk with, and he's in, and he's from your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Yannick. Why do they still have Yannick in the band? <laughs> Isn't that what happened with, with Ian Gill and Jordan Sabbath back in the day, too? They all just yes. kind of got drunk together. Yes. But that's a far better record, if you ask me. Oh, absolutely. Born absolutely. again? Jeez. Well, when Listen. we talked about this album on our Replacement Singers episode, I think you and I and Vince agreed. It's got, you know, the, maybe the first three or four tracks are solid, and the band obviously loves this material because they still play Sign of the Cross today in the current right. tours, you know, but it was also the beginning of their lengthy, long six, seven, eight, nine minute songs that continue to yeah. this day. And I love Maiden, but uh, you know what? There's not been a great album. Let's be honest. There's been good albums, but those long songs and double albums and There's playing clubs, things. playing clubs on this tour. Right. Small yeah. little places, 607 yeah. seat clubs. I saw them at the Birch Hill in New Jersey. You it's did. a tiny club. It, you know, Bill, you know the Birch Hill. Like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, A, it was small, but it was so small, it was uncomfortable because it was overcrowded and it yeah. just wasn't a fun night. It's maiden, but come on, man. And they played Orlando on that tour, but it sold out. And I just, I didn't even bother trying to get a ticket. You know, I mean, it, it, I was like, man, why did they play that place? But at the time, they, they were, they knew they couldn't sell arenas or even yeah. small theaters. So, but I think we meant, I think Walt, you had mentioned they, they didn't tour for very long either. No. It was a short tour because right. they couldn't get any ticket sales. So yeah. they were, they were probably losing money. You know, trying to put that thing together. So it's like, screw it. We're not even going to do it. But yeah, yeah. yeah I, th I think we can all agree that 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 one's not one of the top dogs of 19. Now, now, speaking of dogs, Bill, you've been uh, we've been patiently waiting for you to give up your top three or four of your favorites on the heavier side. Mm. So this is your chance, buddy. Go ahead. Let's hear what you all got. Right, well, first of all, there was a lot of killer heavy records that came out that year uh at the gate slaughter of the soul suffocation pierce from within in which by the way uh dave call ross from rochester new york played drums on that album oh, and nice. uh death symbolic dissection yeah. storm of the lights bane deicide once upon a cross i mean there was tons of killer heavy records but i'm going to talk about fear factory uh demanufacture that that was a great album it was their second album and really? uh album there's some killer tunes on there. It's, 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 you know, it's funny because people considered them death metal when they first came out, but they really weren't. They're more, I don't know, cyborg metal, I guess. Yeah. And on this album, they had a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, you know, sequencing and, and yeah. sound effects and whatnot. And it's very, uh, I mean, the album's about man versus machine. So it's very futuristic kind of sounding and, but my favorite part of that album is the drummer, Raymond Herrera. He is just a monster. The guy oh, yeah. was like a drum machine, but a human drum machine. Sounds like and a typewriter at times. He does. That he, double yeah. kick, yeah. And a lot of people accused him of of uh, using triggers or triggers. using a drum machine, and he didn't. It yeah. was, I mean, he exactly. had triggers on his kick drums, but he was actually playing. I mean, I've watched a guy. I, used to, I sat right behind him one time, and um, and he, wear, he wore heavy-duty, like, lager boots at the time too he was playing all that stuff with these big ass boots on wow yeah that's insane dude is an amazing drummer but there's some killer tunes on there self-bias resistor replica dog Body day surprise i don't know if you remember that so it's a it was a cover song from head of david i don't i don't remember who head of david is but that's a great tune though dog yeah. day sunrise and they I uh, got the uh, deluxe edition that had some had a couple cover tunes on there. Your mistake from uh, Agnostic Front, sick tune. Oh wow, yeah, that's yep. nice. That's good. And then they had some uh, some remixes on there too. But that's another album. You play it loud, play it on a good stereo. It sounds amazing. Now I got to ask you, Bill. Do you remember when they did remanufacture? Because yes. I really I did not care for that album. No, after after having after listening to D Manufacture, I was not a fan of Remanufacture at all. Yeah, and neither was I. Yeah, it was a little too industrial for me. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I got a second on on because I mean you know this is a great album and it's it's dark in like a uh, well it's it's H R Geiger. You know, yeah. it always makes it always makes me think of that. You know, 
a cross between that and then like some kind of uh, trippy 90s, uh, you know, uh, gothic, you know, vampire movie kind of thing. You know, it's, it's got that atmosphere to it. You know, it's yep. it's very brooding and haunting, but it's it's a, it's an intense, heavy album. And yeah, very intense. Death, death symbolic, man. Heavy, brutal, but so good. It's just all over the place, man. You know, yes. Schrodinger was 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 a monster on that album. Great album. I actually met him in the studio on that on that uh, when he was recording that album. Really? That's <laughs> yeah. badass. Oh, very nice That's guy. Badass. Very nice guy. Bill, just real quick, you wanted to give a nod to uh, a particular album you missed uh, discussing. In oh, yeah. Before. I missed it because of, of time restraints, but Cannibal oh. Corpse, uh, The Bleeding. And yeah. that was uh, that's another sick album from uh, from the '90s, and I was actually in the studio when they were recording that, and that's when I met Chuck. And oh, nice. uh, great album. I mean, it, you know, say what you want about Chris Barnes, but the uh, the music was phenomenal. And I mean, it has uh, yeah, fucked with a knife and strip draped and strangled, and and my favorite's pulverized. That that song is just killer. There's a yeah. really good guitar breakdown part in that song, and it's just sick. Yeah, I remember that album. Heavy. That was that was my first introduction to that kind of heavy. I was like, wow. Well, if you remember, they were in Ace Ventura's Pet Detective uh, yes. when that album came out. That's right. Yep. Yep. That's right. Everybody remembers that movie. <laughs> so, That's Bill, cool. you had a couple of others. So let's hear about your other favorites. Oh, God. Yes. And then also, I wanted to talk about Flotsam and Jetsam Drift. Um, that's an album that when it came out, uh, it was so different from from what they'd done before because they're a thrash band, you know, and you expect those thrashy kind of riffs. Sure. And I remember hearing it when it came out and I was like, man, what the hell is this? You know, and so I just I didn't get into it. And I even saw him on that tour. I saw him. It was Megadeth, Fear Factory, Corn, and Flotsam and Jetsam. I, I don't know if it was in that order, but uh, yeah. And then, uh, by the way, at that show. I was backstage with the Fear Factory guys and we were smoking a joint and in comes Dave Mustaine and he's like, guys, come on, man. He goes, I told you guys, you can't be smoking weed back here. <laughs> so we kind of got scolded by him. He didn't yell at us, but he was he was definitely miffed because he was in his sober stage. At his the sober stage. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's too bad. So, but anyway, Drift, man. I don't know if you guys got into that album at all, but uh, it's a really good record. I, I got into it years later. And it's it's definitely different. It's more straight ahead. I don't want to say rock because it's not rock. It's still metal. It's just yeah. they're not. You know the riffs are different and the songs are are big and open. And Eric AK's vocals are just phenomenal. Well, they had like that. It was almost like a two album stretch there. You know the their yes. prior album as well was was that same way. It was almost like their approach to what was going on. Their adjustment at the time. Right, and it was it was adjustment basically, just like Metal Church with, uh, um, um, oh God, what was it? The album that came out before, I can't think of the oh, name Darkest? of it. <laughs> no. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so we just balance. Oh God, I can't think right now. Anyway, um, back to the to to uh, to Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, um, the song "Me Pick a Window." 12-year-old yep. boy with a gun, or 12-year-old with a gun and smoked out. Those are phenomenal tunes, if you ask me. Yeah, um, right. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but uh, good tunes. I, I, yeah, we, we discussed uh, off-camera. I had gone back afterwards and, and checked that out, too. I All these bands at one point or another, you know, you kind of circle back to try to check out stuff that you might have missed. And, yeah. and Drift was was one of the albums. It's, it's overall, it's a pretty freaking solid album. You know, I mean, it's oh, hanging in the balance. Metal shirts. That's hanging in the balance. Yeah, it is good. But and it's a very similar record to Drift. I mean, in the way their their approach changed because Metal Church was kind of a thrash band. You know, they had thrashy sure. tunes and they, yeah. they changed up their guitar sound. I guess is more or less what it was. Yeah. Well, Bill, um, we're going to take a short break. And we're going to come sure. back. We want to hear about uh, another uh, favorite of yours from 1995. And then we got a lot more material to go because I have my favorite list. And then we have some of the top albums. And um, we're going to talk a little bit. Let's not forget our brothers of the 80s. Metal Mayhem ROC. Metal 
metal. I'm metalhead. Metal Mayhem ROC is the home for metal from the very beginnings. This is James Rivera from Hellstar. You're listening to Burn Omatic. Dave Overkill from the Cleveland band Destructor. Hey, Dave, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's a long time headliner. Hey, this is Red Beach from White Snake. Hey, this is Vinny Apathy from Dio, Black Sabbath, and Last in Line. To music of today. Hi, this is Olaf Wickstrand from Enforcer. Hi, this is Braun from Mastodon. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. With John the Vernomatic Burner. Plus, we talk with producers and authors to give you behind the scenes info. Hi, this is William Irwin, author of The Meaning of Metallica, Ride the Lyrics. Greg Renoff, the author of the book Van Halen Rising and the uh, Ted Templeman book A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. Giving you more to listen for. Join our community and always remember to keep it heavy. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. This is Metal Walt, and I'm with my metal brothers, Ian O'Rourke and Bill the Rager. And we're here dissecting the heavy metal year 1995. Guys, um, we have a lot more to cover in the remaining part of this episode. So, Bill, you're going to talk about Dark Tranquility. Yes, Dark Tranquility, uh, The Gallery. Sick album. Um, uh, A lot of people, for some reason, seem to like... uh, um, at the gate slaughter the soul more but i love this album this album to me was was their tops but anyway it was their second album and uh the uh first for the singer michael stain stan i don't know how you pronounce his last name but anyway he was the guitar player but he took over for vocals on this album and oh, wow. um to describe it for anyone that doesn't know, it's a Swedish metal. You know, it's kind of got black metal elements to it, a little death metal, but it's not really one or either. It's definitely Swedish metal yeah. and uh, a lot of killer guitar harmonies and uh, brutal vocals. And actually, there is a couple tunes where they have a chick singing, and I can't remember her name, but uh, it's very melodic, adds a good element to the record. And they went on to do some much lighter stuff afterwards, but uh, it was, you know, a lot of people, it expanded their audience, but they alienated a lot of their earlier followers, including yep. myself. Oh, and okay. um, and nowadays, they're they're back. They just pretty much just do their brutal stuff. I mean, the last time I saw them, they were heavier than hell. No sure. Although the singer is the only original main, remaining member from those days, but uh, they're still great live. Seems to be the pattern. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, going from completely dark, heavy bands, let's go to the other other direction. Let's go back to the Sunset Strip at Bright Colors and Neon in the 80s bands. Now, listen, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, guys. You know what? I looked at the roster of albums that came out in 95. Dokken, Firehouse, Warrant, Extreme, Kicks, Skid Row, Momstein, Right down the line, maybe aside from Skid Row's subhuman race, 
I don't even remember any of these other albums, let alone remember a song, let alone remember a title. So I, you know what? It's maybe I'll take some blame here, but I must have checked out at this period of time. Or maybe it was a byproduct of just not good material. So no, Ian, I agree. I checked out too. I was totally checked out to, at that time. But here no. you go. It's like still, I just named eight, 10 bands. I think right. Warrant was another one. Like, you know, there's like they're putting new material out, guys, but nothing, nothing stuck from this period. Right. I mean, right. what's what's a song off subhuman race that anybody knows? And that's the only one album I do know. Subhuman, the song Subhuman Race is actually pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Listen, that's probably the heaviest out of this group of stuff. I actually had to force myself to go back because I was never a huge warrant fan, but I wanted to see what ultraphobic was all about. And to listen back to it after the fact, it's not terrible. Yeah. It definitely sounds like those 80s bands trying to fit in with the 90s. You know, um, I think it was the last with with uh, Janie Lane. Dysfunctional by Dokken. I have a, a sensitive spot for this because I saw this tour. Saw him at the Lost Horizon in Syracuse. Wow. Um, Too High to Fly was the, the, the first single that they had off the album. And um, Mick Brown came out, was the only guy to come out on, of the tour bus, beers in hand, saying hi, shaking hands, taking pictures with everybody that was waiting outside that tour bus just for a minute to say hi. You know, I mean, just about everybody that was in the club wanted to try to meet the band. They were all people of a certain age, our age, you know, and they wanted to freaking meet these guys. And you could see George and Don and, you know, obviously they probably were still having a pissing contest with each other. They'd look out the curtain. They go back. Mick walks right out. He's like, F this, comes out. What's up? up everybody i mean he was the greatest guy i miss uh, mick brown i miss him oh, he's man. just a he's classic yeah. freaking character man but you know uh you're right i mean slash's snake pit Sl- you know slash had had some pretty good material at this yeah. time um which isn't bad that was pretty memorable the firehouse stuff another 90s or 80s band trying to to uh you know stay relevant in the 90s you know, there was a lot of stuff that just really fell off the wayside. Um, but I did have to make mention, you know, you know, Doc and Dysfunctional and, you know, Skid Row, Subhuman Race. That was their, the tail end of their Pantera influence period. You know, that was when they were doing the heavier stuff that they wanted to do. You know, you could tell that they were kindred spirits. You know, they did a lot of touring with, you know, Pantera off and on back in those days. So. And uh, and Slash's Snake Pit did land uh, the opening slot on that ACDC Ball Breaker tour because I saw. Oh it. yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, different because you know at the time it was like, oh, still Slash with his big top hat, but he's got his own group. It's not GNR. What is it? You know. But uh, yeah, and it had some it had some edge though, man. It yeah. was some pretty cool stuff. That's one of those albums that you look back in time and you say. It didn't get the credit it deserved at the time, but it's not a bad album with a pretty good right. cast of musicians. Exactly. So that was that was the 80s. I mean, we got a couple more to cover. Another couple of albums just worth shouting out, giving a call out. Troubles, Plastic, uh, Plastic Greenhead, Green. King Diamonds, awesome, The Spider, Spider Lullaby, both great albums. Some awesome yeah. songs on those albums. Um, Dream Theater put out a covers album called The Change of Seasons. And uh, Ian, something that you liked was Cathedral's The Carnival Bazaar. So these are all really good, heavy albums, quality material from that uh, period. Um, One of the ones I wanted to talk about, and this was a favorite of mine from 1995, was, of course, being a big Black Sabbath fan, was Forbidden. Now, um, interesting you say that, Ian, because being the junkie I am, it's got a couple songs on there, but to me in general, it was a drop off from Tear and the Headless Cross. And uh, oh, yeah. I just don't think the songwriting was there. Um, really, I think the one great track on there is the last track, Kiss of Death. It was Kiss just a heavy, heavy track. But what made this one cool was A, you had Ernie Chapman from Body Count that produced it. And then you had Ice-T do a guest appearance on Illusion of Power. They had this cartoon cover. Um, but just like your experience with the Dockin show, I saw this 
opening night at Toad's Place up in uh, in Hartford, Connecticut. And then, you know, at the beginning of the show, I said 1995 was about the mid 20s years where you're exploring your world. And I went backpacking with three of my best friends over to Europe for three weeks and we planned one concert. And one of them we went to see. We went to see this tour in Hamburg, Germany. Um, And uh, it was great. Got some. uh, You saw him twice. Saw him twice, actually. And I saw him in New York as well. But I, we met Tony Martin. We met Bobby Rondinelli. We met basically oh, nice. the whole band, just not Tony Iommi. Got photos with all of them, Neil Murray. Yeah. And uh, it was just great. That was my first time seeing a concert in another country. And yeah. I remember meeting up with an old tape trader named Hans Kern. Hans Kern, the guy had more shit in his collection than I've ever seen, you know. Yeah. But that's, uh, you know, great memories of the tour. Not such great memories of the album. What would you think about it, Ian? You're right. I mean, you know, some of the writing on it wasn't as good, but I, you'll never hear me say, you know what? Tony Iommi can't write a good riff. Right. Because I mean, you know, he could fall out of bed, stub his toe and go, ah, and someone would be like, Tony, that's a great riff. And you know, that could have been what he put on the album, but I, I you're right. Kiss of death though. Kiss of death is such oh, a freaking awesome and they, song. And they <laughs> only did that. They, they played that song live in Europe, but not in the States. So I did get able to see it, which oh, was nice. great. So, um, but Bill, that was you got any memories? I just it, when that album came out, I remember listening to it and not being uh too impressed with it at the time. And I think it was my mindset more than anything because it really isn't that bad of a record. I mean, I listen to it now and I'm like, why didn't I like this back then? Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, but, man, that's cool. You saw him twice on that tour. Yeah, yeah. Now, what kind of what's well, Toads, that's a that's a club. Yeah, it was, yep. And then I saw him at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City and then uh, Docks in Hamburg, Germany. Oh, you it's, saw him uh, three times? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But nice. it, was the, it was the second leg of the tour. So I saw him in the summertime in the U.S. and then back in October in Europe. In Europe. So right. with uh, Tiamat opening. Tiamat. Oh, nice. wow. Wow. Yeah. So, Tiamat's a heavy band. Yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah. So I want to quickly talk about my – there's a short list I have of favorites, right? Just going to go uh, through them quickly. Uh, Monster Magnets, Dopes to Affinity. I think that was the first time I heard those guys. And I said, wow, what sound is this? They're another band that, you know, you can't quite categorize them. They're heavy. They're a little bluesy. They're a little, they got some almost retro, like weird late sixties vibe to them. And yet they're, they're, they're out there. And this was, this is a classic album, man. I think that's one that put them on the map. One worth ending a listen. Um, Richie Blackmore's uh, Stranger in Us All. It was the last album he put out, the studio album. Flew under mm-hmm. the radar, had Doogie White on vocals, uh, Greg Smith on on bass, and a few other guys. You know, it was another show. He played okay. limited shows in the States. He toured, played the Birch Hill. It was the one and only time, based on my age, I was able to see Rainbow. So, decent yeah. album. Yeah. Uh, and Primus's Tales from the Punch Bowl. <laughs> why known as Big Brown Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they were arena status at this point. So uh, you're right, they were. Yes, played they were. A, played Nassau them. Coliseum. That's how big they were on this on this album. So, right. and on the Megadeth connection, Bill, I know you got yelled at by Dave Mustaine, but I always liked that album, Hidden Treasures. A couple covers, Paranoid, No More Mister Nice Guy. They had uh, Go to Hell off of Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure. You know, Ninety Nine Ways yeah. to Die. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, I I think that that uh, ninety nine ways to die was was probably one of the last real good ones because when they came out later and you know yeah. I don't know I'm back and forth with with Megadeth when it comes to some of their their material you know but I'm the same way I I've said it before every one of the the big four I'm back and forth with you know the 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 load and reload stuff. There's like a handful of stuff I like, and there's the rest of it is just shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that middle period with with Slayer, yep, don't like it. And Anthrax, we discussed it, you know, here with the albums. I I like their stuff as a whole a lot more, but they still have a lot of stuff in there where it's like, hey, you know what? You could have taken this album, this album, to pull these songs out, put these songs together, and made one great album. Um, you know, with better production, but yeah, yeah, it's. But, but let's this is, um, go ahead, go right ahead. No, I was you gonna, go. Well, 
I was going to say I'd be remiss if we don't talk about the one band that Verno would not want us to talk about. And it's an album that I think we all may have some mixed feelings about. Um, it's Balance by Van Halen. Now, I personally like the album. It was um, There was a darker mood to the album than For Unlawful Kind of Knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it kind of set perfect at this time. Like, you know, when we were talking, you know, the Down album, was was a huge influence on me, you know, and that got a lot of spins. Uh, for, Balance got a lot of spins too, you know, because it was Eddie. I'm not going to throw away Eddie just because, you know, he's with Sammy and, you know, I mean, I, I was still listening to it, not as, as adamantly as I would, uh, you know, Roth era stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot of good songs on here. And um, I think that, you know, it was a it's a period of time that, you know, people quickly forget because they did the one, you know, tour, you mm-hmm. know, with Sammy following this. And then, you know, there was a big piss and match and they decided to get Dave back in the band and do the uh, MTV was the 96, the VMAs. Right. Yeah. Uh, when they did the reunion yeah. for the for the uh, greatest hits. So. You but this is a any- this is a tar, you know, this is another example, guys. Van Halen put a string of albums together with Sammy Hagar that went on for about 10 years, and every one was one was just bigger than the next, right? And it, it it's hard to sustain that. And this kind of came towards the end, but again, Seven Seal, great song. Can't Stop Loving yeah. You was your MTV hit. Um, I thought Amsterdam was just a killer track, dry uh live. Yeah. Al's drums in that were killer, like great tour. Like, you know, it's just another one. They just kept coming back and back and back. Eddie, at this point, had the short haircut, wearing the sunglasses on the back cover, right? Like, uh, different look. But, you know, again, not the favorite, but definitely some good, strong material there. But very hard to maintain a career like that where you put one album after the next. You're not going to hit a home run every time. No. Bill? Yeah, I mean, I felt like they were kind of – when that album came out, I thought they were kind of going through the motions. but. In hindsight, it, it is a good record. It's a solid record. Um, you know, I can't stop loving you. That there is that the that was that the was hit. The, yeah, the big hit. Yeah, that like was. I remember not liking that song then, but if you watch that video now, it's a it's a good tune. It's a lighthearted, you know, feel good song. I guess. Right. Yep. Yeah, and you're you know to your credit too, Amsterdam, badass song. You know that's that. That trilogy that they had, they had Summer Nights, they had Cabo Wabo, and they had Amsterdam. And it's like those, this is the new party music that Van Halen puts out, you know, when they put out those kinds of songs. It's really fun stuff, you know, and that's why I enjoyed it because it still had that fun Van Halen vibe to it, you know, even though it was the darker 90s, you know, period, it was it was still really good. So, Bill, you got yelled at by Dave Mustaine and on my way out to (laughs) Jones Beach to see this tour, the Van Halen tour, I got pulled over with my friend Matt Clary on the um, on I think it was the Southern State Parkway. And we were stuck in traffic and I had to take a really bad piss. And this big black state trooper pulls me over, checks the car, says, where's the beer? You guys have been drinking. Pull aside. And I said, there's no beer in this car. And he looked through the car. And it was nothing but Gatorades and waters. And he looked at me, he says, I was certain you guys were drinking and driving. He goes, because you ran so fast over to take a piss by the uh, interstate. (laughs) I said, we came from Jersey, two hours in traffic. It's hot out. It's the summer. I had to take a piss. He laughed and he said, get back in the car and go enjoy the show. So that was a memory I had from that tour. Nice. But uh, <laughs> that's cool. At least he let you go. <laughs> exactly. Guys, we could go on all day. Um, I think course. we've covered a lot of ground here in 1995. You know, lots of other albums. If, for you, the listeners, explore. Check out some of the other ones we didn't talk about today. Sabotages, Dead, Winter, Dead, Saxons, Dogs of War, releases from Uriah Heap. And even maybe the one we're going to leave with, Ian, is one we can't forget about because it set the tone for the second half of the 90s and the 2000s to come. And um, that would be Rob Zombie's Astro Creep 2000, right? This was the sound of metal to come go forward, right? More human than more human. It's It was on the radio every two seconds, probably the number one rock song at that time. It, it, 
dominated radio. These guys are big. They're headlining in a second slot on OzFest, and they're still out there as this, the first bill. Every one of these big Sonic Temple tours and everything like else. And this was the sound of Metal Go Forward. Yeah, and the sad part about it is this was like the demise of White Zombie, as you would know it. You know, they did the one uh, remix album that they did afterwards, you know, and then Rob basically ended up becoming a solo artist. But this album, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on this album. You know, it's heavy as hell. You know, I mean, and to, you know, like to what Bill was saying with, um, uh, you know, like when you listen to the that Fear Factory Demanufacture album, there's a lot of industrial stuff that Rob was throwing on at this time period. You know, I mean, all of the the old uh, you know, B movie, you know, footage, you know, the the women being whipped yeah. and they're moaning and Late stuff. Late sixty stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that gets put in, you know, and all the synthesizer music. So it's definitely it definitely is that that new metal, like you were saying, you know, that comes around um or that came around at this time. So Bill, do you uh, have any fond? Yeah, or- my memory from that album, unfortunately, <laughs> is a bad one. Uh-oh. I don't like. I don't like that. it either, Bill. I'm with you. No, no, no. Okay. I, I. It's not that I don't like the album. I, you know, it's oh, to me. I, I don't know. I mean, it's okay, but I did see them on that tour. I went and saw them in Tampa, and good show. They put on a great show, and I'm leaving, and I walk out the door, and I hear a pop, and I look over. And I see a woman falling to the ground with blood coming out of her head. So it turns out she was shot in the head by her ex-husband. What? Yeah. That's a freaking way to end a show. Holy shit. Yeah, it was pretty awful. So that's that's my terrible memory of that record. (laughs) So that would ruin it for me too. My God. Um, The one thing I wanted to point out too, you know, just real quick. You know, we talked about it with Motorhead and we talked about it with a lot of the bands from the 80s. But, um, you know, the the Saxon Dogs of War and the Uriah Heap um, Sea of Light. This is that period where those old school bands started making heavier music again. You know, cool, heavier yeah. music. Yeah. And the, the stuff that with both of those bands, Uriah Heap and Saxon, has sustained up through now. Yep. You know, they still that's put a great, out great Uriah Heap record, by the way. That album kicks yeah. ass. Yep, it is. You know, yeah. and so I, I, I think that anybody that follows our show should, uh, you know, along with all the other suggestions we gave and, you know, should go check that stuff out, too, because, I mean, that's it's definitely you can see that it's like, oh, yeah, I you can tell where it started, you know, and now all of a sudden you you bring it up to the to now. So good stuff. This was another fun year, guys. Absolutely. We still have four more years in the decade to come. So, you know, it's it was definitely a better year than like when I think of the 90s. I I they're kind of a blur to me because I was living in Florida, which I'm back in Florida, but right. Florida was a blur at the time. And but now when you know going through these records, I have some good memories, you know, and and some bad ones, but <laughs> the bad one right. wasn't anyone's not my fault. But you know, but, it was a good time though. Good time to be a youngster and a heavy metal. Absolutely. Well, that, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying well, that's I, the perfect way to put it. And we all have good memories from this year, you know, yep. some good fun concert stories and meetups with, with different artists. Really good yep. stuff to reminisce. Well, and Very I think cool. that, you know, like uh Walt and I had said before, you know, I mean the one thing that's good about this whole series is the fact that it gives everybody a chance to be a little nostalgic, you know, because a lot of times, you know, there's things that you may have forgotten or you missed and you get to go back and check it out after we give you the suggestions. So hopefully everybody that's paying attention to the show will do that. But, you know, I mean, I got to tell you, you know, I, I shocked myself when i went back and listened to subhuman race again i was like jesus i forgot how heavy this album actually is and it's it's really it's really a heavy album not their not their best album that by far means but it's still a really heavy album for for skid row anyways so well guys it's been a pleasure and for the listeners just a reminder get up to the metal mayhem join our community by signing up for our newsletter 
This is our way to alert you about new podcast episodes, YouTube interviews, and reminders for our live radio show Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio. Again, that's MetalMayhemROC.com. For my metal brothers, Ian O'Rourke and Bill the Rager, this is Metal Walt. Keep raging. Stay up! Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.